You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We have Dan Kiesler speaking this morning. Dan, if you want to come up. Yes. You may have met Dan and his wife, Kara. She's here with uh, their three-year-old and their two-year-old, Ellie and Isla. And they've been attending Queen City here for the last couple of months, feel like they found a family they want to journey with. So Dan's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine going on 10 years. So let's, let's welcome him. Let's overwelcome him. Thanks, buddy. Uh, uh, I do want to start off by saying, man, last week was so good. Was it not good with Robin? Um, I think this is actually the first time I ever heard Robin speak in a like church setting. Uh, we've done retreats and meetings and different things, but this is the first time I think I ever heard you speak, and it was pretty spicy. Like it was a lot of, you know, comedy, some sass, like some good stuff in there, but uh, a lot of profound things. So actually, this morning I kind of want to just piggyback off Robin. He gave me the task of uh, speaking about love, which I'm an expert in, so that's great. Um, but I just kind of want to lean a little more toward fruit and bleed it into love a little bit this morning. But let me pray for us before we get started. Father, God, we thank you that um, there's a reality in this place, whether we feel it, whether we realize it, God, that your presence is here. And God, I thank you that one of the mysteries of the gospel in this relationship is that we're as close to you, close to you as we will ever be. And God, that for all of eternity, we'll be unveiling that closeness and the reality of who you are, not only around us, but within us. And Father, I thank you that this is our truth this morning, God, that it's your presence. That's our reality. We love you, God. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about love, right? Um, I, Chris wanted a, a message title, which I'm not great at, um, so I immediately went to song uh, names like What's Love Got to Do With It, and I thought maybe I can kind of weave that in, or Love in an Elevator, you know, I thought Love's Up, Down, maybe I can kind of do one of those preacher, you know, slide it in. Then I thought, why don't we just do like Fruit of the Spirit Week 2, that'd be cool, you know, kind of like a nice safe uh, zone. But I, w- I want to ask us two questions, and don't raise your hand lest you be judged, but here's number one. How many of you guys feel like God loves you? Just think about this for a minute. How many of you actually feel? You can raise your hand. Um, and when I say feel, I don't mean just know like as a biblical truth or this uh, you know, magnet we put on our fridge. But how many of you guys actually feel like God loves you? Right? And here's the follow-up question. How many of you guys feel like God likes you? It's a different question, right? Um... And honestly, the more you sit with it, the more you kind of have to think about it, right? Because it's kind of bred into us when we talk about love, and especially the love of God, that we know that God loves us, but sometimes we don't think that he really likes us, right? And it's true that probably there's some things that I do that God doesn't like. There's plenty of things I do that I don't like. But isn't it weird to think that God literally wants to be with us so much that he came to knit himself to us in a way that now he can never be separate from us. God doesn't just love us, but he actually likes us. And as we read this Galatians passage, I want to launch from here this morning, Galatians 5, 23. 
I want us to keep those two questions in the back of our thoughts. Galatians 5.22 says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Really quick, if you could just say fruit. Fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Paul prefaces this just a verse or two before talking about the acts of the flesh. And he's saying they're obvious sexual immorality, impurity, all the kind of flesh stuff. But it's insinuating that there's two environments that we do life from. And the outcome of those environments is not uh, the goal, but the environment itself would be the goal. In fact, I would say our goal is not to bear fruit. Our goal is to be positioned in a place that fruit is the byproduct of something, right? I think too often, especially in Christianity, our goal is to produce something or get to some kind of outcome. And we get on the treadmill of performance in a way that we can never finally truly get there. But that's not really the life that Jesus came uh, to give. And it's not the life that he displayed. And when I think about love and love being this fruit, Paul even writes in the New Testament, he says, If I can speak in tongues but have not. And that word have is a possessive kind of language. It's not something that I'm just doing. It's not just something I'm acting out. It's something that he's talking about we possess. And when I think about possessing love, I think about Jesus immediately, right? And the Bible even makes a statement about God and very few things, if anything but this, God is called. But it says that God is love. God's not just displaying love, even though he did. He's not just uh, using this emotion of love, but God in his very nature and makeup is love. It's impossible for God to do anything that isn't coming from a reference of love, right? And so when Jesus comes and he's God's full expression in the flesh, he is love embodied and the world's being flipped upside down, not because Jesus did all the right stuff, crossed the T's and dotted the I's, but because love was walking in the midst of humanity. And for the first time, they're engaging and encountering the love of God and it's tangible, right? And it's the way that Jesus loved people that was mysterious, Because the way that God loved people through Jesus didn't look like the normal version of human love and the emotion of love that we can all be used to, right? And God shows up and his love is unconditional. It's unconditional. Jesus' love was unconditional, right? When we talk about bearing fruit, especially as it pertains to love, It's the byproduct of something else. And Robin mentioned this a few times last week, but we love because he first loved us, right? So if I'm going to have the capacity to love the way that I'm called to love, that means I have to have a revelation and be rooted in the love of God for me. It's important to know that God loves you, but it's a different thing to really uncover what that love looks like, what it feels like. And to know that it really, truly is unconditional. We don't perform for fruit, but in fact, I would say that love that performs isn't really love, it's performance, right? And that kind of love gets tired. That kind of love gets exhausted. Situational love and conditional love, it gets tired when the conditions aren't right and it quits. But Jesus 
shows up and his love never got tired. Jesus never got to his last drop and had to refuel. Jesus was walking, embodied, breathing, talking, healing, love, right? And Jesus puts this command on the disciples. I want to read this and give a little bit of backstory. Uh, Just for a minute, John 13. Jesus gives this crazy, audacious command to the disciples. And we obviously inherit this as believers, but we have this call to love one another. And I want to read this passage and then give a little context. It says, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Which means you've got to know how he loves you in order to love one another the way that he's calling you to love one another, right? Uh, So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to read that first line one more time. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Let me say it this way. The way that I loved you, love one another. What was his way of love? It was unconditional, right? And I love this scene because Jesus is talking to people. Um, who probably didn't love one another the best at the moment and certainly not at the beginning of their journey. Uh, we all see this scene's kind of like the Last Supper and I always think of that painting. It's kind of like the highlight real moment where these guys are kind of leaning in. Jesus has taken this kind of group of misfits and made this uh, nice little following and somewhat of a family already and they're not really fighting. They're just kind of gathered around Jesus. It's a masterpiece painting, right? But the masterpiece kind of started as a mess because if you look at who Jesus called, most of these guys wouldn't have loved one another, right? Uh, just to uh, mention it quickly, Jesus calls, uh, you know, some regular guys, right? Uh, some fishermen, you know. Uh, these are your Carhartt guys, guys doing Carhartt stuff. Don't bother anybody, don't really care, just trying to provide and do life, right? Then he calls Matthew, right? Matthew is a tax collector. Now, if you don't know this, a tax collector is in the same category as harlots and sinners and all of the enemies of a good Jew of the day, God's people wouldn't want to associate with a tax collector. Because he's not just a tax collector for the Jews, he's a tax collector for the Romans. In a lot of their minds, the Romans are oppression and they signify something else. And so Matthew, being invited to the table of Jesus, was really stirring the pie. In fact, probably some of the fishermen didn't really like Matthew. But to top it all off, Jesus calls Simon, who the Bible says was a zealot, and Simon would have been the political activist of the day. Right? So imagine this scene for a minute. Jesus calls some regular dudes. These are the guys just on Facebook. Never make a comment, but they're reading everyone else's. Right? Then he calls Matthew, and he's always trying to profit off of people. Then he calls Simon. Now those two alone would have been fireworks. Those two alone at the dinner table would have been heated conversations. These guys not only wouldn't have loved one another, they would have hated, like Robin hated that one guy that he talked about last week, they would have hated one another, right? This was not peaceful, breaking bread, dip in my bowl, like, scene that it started out. I can imagine the tension that Jesus had to navigate with guys that he intentionally called to his table to model what unconditional love actually looks like. And then there's Judas, who's going to betray him, and Jesus knew it, and there's, that's a whole other fun part of the story. But this is the environment, and these are the ingredients that Jesus is using 
to cultivate and display what the kingdom would be in the earth. Can I, can I tell you that when, when God calls you to the table, when Jesus calls multiple streams of diversity to the same table, only love can make that work. Right? Because God knew that they would never build that table and build family based on agreement. But love transcends agreement. And it transcends disagreement. Right? Um, I'm going to not go in any danger zone this morning, but you said I could be myself. Um, can I tell you that, like, just in light of some of the seasons we went through recently, I don't know if you know this, Jesus is not Republican or Democrat. Right? And when we're on that level of conversation, it just shows that we're having the wrong conversation. Because this is how the table would have started. It would have started as a mess of who's wrong, who's right. Is it the Romans? Should he liberate us? Should we be uh, collecting taxes or shouldn't we? Or should we just be catching fish? Who's right at the table? And I'm sure it was this constant scene of trying to figure out whose lane Jesus was going to choose. But unconditional love doesn't pick a lane. It picks the highway. And Jesus is sitting at the table with people. And these are the ingredients. People who would have hated one another. He calls into an atmosphere to really cultivate and put on display what perfect love looks like. So when he makes this uh, command in John 13 and he says, here's a new command. Love one another the same way that I loved you. It's so important to know who he's talking to. Because these people did not agree about everything. They didn't like one another sometimes. And maybe at this point at Last Supper, maybe they're at the point, ah, we kind of love each other, but we still don't really like each other. Can I tell you that God's love, when we think God loves us but doesn't really like us, it's almost like this subconscious thing where God loves us but he only tolerates us. Right? See, that's performance. And performance isn't associated with the love of God. Because the love of God does not require performance, right? And I see this in Jesus. I want to pull this verse up. Uh, John 3.16, greatest hits Bible verse here. Everybody knows this, but it's so powerful if we had time to unpack it. Because here's the truth about God. It says this. It says, For God so loved the world... Again, contextualized, the world's messed up, it's broken, there's murderers, liars, thieves, good people, beautiful things, dark things, broken things, but it's lost, right? There's people on the planet who don't even know the name of the God who loves them or the one who created them. It's kind of a mess, but he loved the world, which means the love of God came before the condition was right. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish but have life eternal. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. He did all of this because he loved before things were right. You understand when there's unconditional love, the conditions don't have to be right because the conditions don't dictate the condition or the standard or the measure of real, pure love. 
And God so loved the world, regardless of what the world was doing, that that was what would drive him into the world. So when Jesus shows up and Jesus calls guys, uh, calls guys to his table to do life with, nothing they would do or not do, nor argue about, nor stream they would pick, would ever dictate the love of God that he would show them because his love was set before he ever came. You understand, the love of God is not a reward. It is the standard. His love was not a reward for good behavior. It wasn't a reward for picking the right God option. It was the standard. And that's why he came. It was the thing that he carried, the thing that he embodied, and the thing that he possessed because God was love. And as love was touching humanity, streams were merging and disagreements were falling. And people were learning to really get a glimpse of what love is like. Because his love is not a reward. It's the standard. Because it's who he is. This is why Jesus came. When I think about having a standard... And always, I kind of tell myself this, and I'm not very good at it. But I kind of play these. If I was, if I did, if I like needles, I'd get it tattooed. But I'm scared. Um, but always remember, like love comes first, right? For God so loved that He came. So love came first. It was there before anything else. And when love is set before anything else, then whatever the anything else is doesn't dictate the quality of my fruit. Because it's already there, right? You understand that um, fruit by the world's standards is corruptible. It goes bad. It uh, turns brown. My wife has this habit. Quick story. has nothing to do with the message. Um, but I'm ADD. So she has this uh, habit of buying way too many bananas. And they just get gross, right? And so we're going to sign up for intimacy training. Um, <clears throat> But they just, they don't last that long. And she keeps buying. I'm like, why do you keep buying so many? We literally have four people now. So you're buying for 94. Um, <clears throat> because fruit goes bad, right? You can't preserve it forever. But we've been born of incorruptible seed, right? The fruit of the Spirit's eternal in nature. So when we bear the fruit of love, like God's love, it does not go bad. There's not an expiration date. It doesn't get tired. doesn't get burned out. Situations don't cause it to expire. The environment is eternal in its nature, therefore, the fruit that we're called to doesn't get old. Which means there's no situation or condition that can outperform the fruit of love, right? Love is an interesting, interesting thing. And I'm convinced that until we really are rooted in the love of God for us, we don't really even have the capacity to love one another the way that we're called to, Right? Again, we love because he first loved us. And that's where fruit flows from. I'll tell you a quick story about um, me being a grass farmer. Which I don't think there is a such thing. So maybe I'm the first. But a few years ago, I, I have this weird personality where if I get into something, I go all the way, right? And uh, I'm getting help for it, but 
I decided one year I want to be into grass because obviously my goals are low. Um, and I, we had bought our house, we had a yard, and I thought, man, I want to make this yard look like Teletubby land, like just perfect, no weeds, I want the best yard, I want to win at yards, I want the neighbors to come and just, you know, give me glory for my yard. Um, and so I decided I'm going to figure out how to do a good yard, right? Know nothing about it, um, but I was overconfident. And in the spring, I had a guy come, and like he fertilized the yard and put lime on the yard, and like after a few weeks... Man, the yard looked good, right? It looked like heaven on earth. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like he just, a little salt and pepper and a few weeks later and it's good, you know? And so I thought, man, I want it even better, right? Who needs that guy? I saw what he did, so I'm going to go do it. So I'll go get more salt and pepper. I, you know, come to the yard and I'm sprinkling. And I thought, man, that's not enough fertilizer. Put more on it because God, man, he wants abundant life, Right? And so I'm growing this yard, right? And I think, man, this is going to look so good. And people are going to come from far and wide and write about this thing. Um, I should have been doing something productive, but this is a problem. Like two days later, I get up and I go outside. Uh, Does anybody know where I'm going with this by show of hands? God bless you. Thanks for telling me. Um, I get up and I go outside. The yard is scorched brown you knew thanks thanks for telling me um go outside i mean it's just it's it's dead like just scorched and of course i'm just flabbergasted you know flabbergasted and i think immediately like an enemy has done this you know like (laughs) While men slept, the neighbor came over, peed in my yard. I don't know what they did, but it's gone now, like the the yard's toast. Of course, I get on Google. I'm like, how do I fix the yard? What happened to my yard? Who killed it? I mean, it looked like someone round up the yard. And apparently, there's a season in which you have to do certain things. And I didn't know timing. And so I fertilized the yard when it was way too hot, and I put way too much, and it actually had the... Uh, opposite effect. Instead of having a pretty yard, I killed the yard because I tried to get there sooner. Um, you understand that like God designs certain things that grow to come when they're supposed to come, right? You know what we do? We try to hurry up the process because we don't think we're good at it yet. And so we try to get fruit quick. Guys, we're, this is the generation of trying to get there quick. This is the generation of looking at everybody else's tree and wondering, how do I get that? Putting some salt and pepper on it and waking up the next day hoping that I just have this function of fruit or something in my life. And can I tell you that it takes a lot of faith and trust to be human in the process of God unveiling His nature in us. Because here's what it takes... To, and again, I'm not a farmer. If you're a farmer, please forgive me this morning for butchering anything I might say. But if a farmer is going to grow fruit, they have certain duties that they have to do, right? But let me ask you this question. If a farmer plants a garden and I don't know how long it takes, six weeks later, tomatoes are there. Did the farmer grow fruit? You can answer. Did he grow fruit? It's not a trick question. Yes, it is. 
No, he didn't grow anything. He didn't, he didn't grow anything. He provided an environment and steward the, stewarded the environment in which it would grow, but he doesn't even have the capacity to make anything grow anyway, right? All he can do is steward the right things so that out of those right things comes this fruit that ultimately only God could make happen anyway, right? Why is it that when the Bible talks about fruit, we immediately start throwing rocks at ourselves because we're not good at it yet? You understand it takes a lot of faith and trust in the Holy Spirit to allow time for the fruit of God to show up in our life. I want to read this passage, Psalms 1. 1 through 3, it says this. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. And here's the principle I want to draw from here. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. In other words, the leaves aren't subject to the condition, right? But the important thing is that fruit comes in its season. I've been pastoring for a decade and a half, and one of the common themes is people are always trying to figure out, how do I get uh, product B to show up in my life? How do I go from point A to point B? How do I get this, more of this? How do I be more like Jesus here? And I think that's an important conversation, but it's also a massive burden of performance. Because the problem is so many times we're focused on the fruit, and that's not even the goal. That's the byproduct. The goal is to be so rooted in my understanding and my reality of Him that everything else, everything else is sidelined. Because I know that when I'm rooted and I steward an environment where the love of God and that canopy over me is the thing that I'm encompassed by, it does something that my effort of getting fruit will never do. My capacity, my version to love my neighbor as myself is not the best effort. But when I see God's heart for me and that same heart for the person across the room, it does something in my life. It enlarges my capacity to see someone in a way that I never could had I not seen the way that the Father sees me. See, God, He loves us unconditionally. And I don't know... Certainly me, and this could just be a message for me, I don't know that we really get that. And if we spent the rest of our life just unpacking that, I I bet probably we would bear plenty of fruit. Plenty of fruit. Just sitting here talking about the depth of God's love for us. See, I'm convinced that staying encompassed in a revelation of him is what changes not only our lives but the lives around us tell you one more quick story um because here's what fruit is fruit's not just good for you on the inside it's good for the world around you this is how you know you're bearing good fruit see jesus didn't just carry it and talk about it the world was changing because of it right so in in christianity we say man i love people but no one actually feels it that's a problem, right? Your bananas, your bananas turning. 
Um, I had this guy one time, um, this is one of those stories I shouldn't tell, but he's not here. Um, young guy, and he, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago, and had just planted the church, and, um, you know, those early days, a lot of weirdos come, you know, and I love weirdos, but it was, it's just what you have to navigate, and this guy was a little weird, and not the good weird, like just the weird weird, and he, he comes to me, and he says, man, he caught me in the office one day, he's like, man, I gotta talk to you, and God spoke to me, and you're the only guy who's gonna get this, and immediately I thought, wow, I'm the chosen one, um, I sat down with him. He's like, man, I was like, what's going on, man? He's like, man, I don't know. I'm just having all these crazy encounters, bro. I was like, well, tell me about it. He's like, he's like, man, I'm just bearing so much fruit, and I don't know what to do with it. And so now he's got my attention because I'm like, I, I don't even know what you're about to say. Bearing so much fruit, and I don't know what to do with it, and it's just nobody gets me, and God said, you're the only guy that's going to get me. Oh, ministry's weird, by the way. Uh, and I was a little more immature then, so I couldn't resist. And I'd probably still do it today, but because I haven't grown any. But um, he's sitting there. I, he says this. I said, "Well, tell me, what, what are these fruits? What are you talking about?" And he starts listing things, and none of them. And he, he specifically called them fruits of the spirit. None of them are fruits of the spirit. He's going through them. Like, what translation is that? You know, like. And he's just saying stuff. And I start to realize this dude's just mean to people. Like, he's just mean. Uh, he's listing things that really are just bad attitude. He's like, man, this is the fruit. And God's called me to, like, judge people and, like, all this stuff. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, bro, those aren't fruits. And he looks at me just dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, those aren't fruits, man. He's like, well, what are they? I was like, those are vegetables. Those are the spiritual vegetables. Now, I shouldn't have done that. That was immature, but it, it was worth it so that I could speak today. And it preceded the conversation in his mind. He is the most fruitful thing on the planet. And the Holy Spirit in him is the Holy Spirit. And he's come to let the world know who God really is. And they got to get their stuff together. And I started to inform him as we read Galatians 5. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. And the beautiful part of the fruit is, it's not about you on the inside. It has fruit on the outside that benefits the world around you. The point of bearing fruit is not so that you're the best Christian, but it's so that the blind can see the deaf can hear the lame can walk the oppressed can be liberated uh, those who are lost can hear the gospel that those who don't know the love of God would also come into this beautiful revelation that the father loves you unconditionally and also he might even like you that's what the fruit is for so that God could be known because the fruit of the Spirit is that. It's the byproduct of doing life by the Spirit of God. You understand? Doing life by the Spirit is an identity statement. Because He gives you two options, flesh or the Spirit. Right? And He's telling you, whichever one you're doing it by produces a certain thing. But life by the Spirit is so much more than speaking in tongues and... All that fun stuff. It's an identity statement. 
Life by the Spirit is doing life by the reality that I'm a son or a daughter of a father who unconditionally loves me. And when that weight of God's unconditional love rests on my life, it produces something that's not just for me, but for those around me. And it empowers me to now be able to sit in the midst of culture where I can sit at the middle of a table with a tax collector, with a zealot, the Carhartt guys, with someone who might betray me. And none of their narratives dictate the measure of my love. Because the fruit of the Spirit, as it pertains to love, really doesn't have a lot to do with your capacity to love or your version of it. It has everything to do with His. And when I'm rooted in the love of God, changes everything. If I want to bear fruit, I have to be rooted. If a farmer stewards an environment so that fruit can come, then certainly our greatest goal isn't to get fruit, it's to steward the environment, right? A couple more thoughts and then I'll be done. There's this passage and I love it. It's, I don't have time to unpack all this. It's John 15, 4 through 5. And this is where I'd ask you again, do you feel like God loves you and do you feel like he likes you? Because it's in that place that we really are rooted, right? And if you're like me, you've got enough human that some days, this is where I could have worked in the whole love in an elevator thing, but some days you're like this. Some days you're like, oh, I'm the righteousness of Christ. You know, I'm the beloved. And the next day you're like, ah, oh, you suck. You know, I suck. I'm just... And it's just like this, you know, like you just got those days. And it's those days where you don't love yourself that you're struggling to love someone else, right? It's situational, it's conditional, right? Isn't it funny that like we think, man, God unconditionally loves us, yet we love ourselves conditionally, right? And then if that's how we treat ourselves, then that is the root and the reference we use to love someone else. And when they don't meet our expectations, love gets tired and love quits. And here's how you know. Is there benefit to the world around you? Not just this like ethereal statement of love that I don't have to be responsible for. I'm talking about, like, is there actual benefit? Like, can someone sit at your table who is completely not like you and still feel value because of what you possess? Right? I, I love this passage because it's, it's so beautiful. Jesus says this. It says, remain in me. Another translation says, abide. In that Greek word, it means literally to be present. Okay, Remain in me as I also remain in you. Now, to be present and to remain and to abide, I want to look at this two different ways. One is, there is this beautiful, mysterious reality that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Right Now, obviously we're sitting in a room this morning, so there's some interesting dynamics to that statement but it's very true right so we remain in jesus in the sense of being but here's the other layer to be present with him isn't always just the lofty truth it's the conscious reality 
to abide in Him means that I am not just uh, have information about His love, but I'm consciously aware of God's heart for me. I'm consciously rooted in the place of the Father's feeling and perception toward me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And he tells you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he's not just talking about a position. He's talking about a duration. Right? You know, our tendency is we get rooted or we get planted and it's different different things to be planted versus rooted. You can be planted and never actually latch on to the environment that you're in. That's rooting. So sometimes we can be planted in God's love, but we actually never take hold of it. We never own it in our being. Therefore, it's just a truth, but we don't actually feel it. But when I get rooted in his love, it's like, oh, I feel this. And now I want someone else to feel it. Now it's this contagious thing. And it starts to produce this life and motivation in me. Like, for God so loved the world. Don't you think he was excited to come? Don't you think he couldn't wait to get his hands on humanity? Don't you think he was looking forward to the lame walking and, uh, you know, washing feet and all that? Don't, don't you think he was excited? Of course he was. Because his value, right? He was rooted in something. But here's the other thing about uh, producing fruit is you can't just be rooted. You've got to stay there. See, what happens sometimes is we don't see fruit yet. And that's why it's important we understand fruit comes in its season. Because sometimes when the season's not there, we try to change pots looking for fruit. But the goal is not to get the fruit. The goal is to remain. Be planted, be rooted, and then stay in this reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And do not move from the truth and the depth of the gospel and the reality that God loves you unconditionally. Right? Because subconsciously, we don't, I don't think we always realize we do this, <clears throat> but we try to change our location rather than remain. Because sometimes we think... If we change our condition, God will not just love us, but he'll like us more. Right? Here's the evidence. And again, don't raise your hand, but really evaluate how often you do things to try to please God. Nothing wrong with pleasing God. Okay? But how many times do you think he's unpleased and you're trying to earn his favor. This is when you're trying to get the right condition. This is the evidence that you think God loves you, but it isn't really like you, right? And so we don't remain in the truth that what Jesus did and what the Father did through Jesus and what we're empowered with by the Holy Spirit, the truth is there can be no separation from this reality of God's love, not just being around us and for us, but being the very thing that we're rooted in and doing life by. But he says, he says, if you remain in me and I in you, here's the byproduct, not the goal, the byproduct. You will bear much fruit. Man, if there's anything we could get, like, especially in this day and age, it's just 
stop obsessing over fruit and just abide. Right? The fruit obsession is exhausting. It, it burns people out. It's a treadmill with an endless goal. There is no finish line. There's no peace. Because once you get a red apple, you want a green one. All right? But if the goal is to abide in him, that's a well I can drink from daily and never find the end of. That's a well that I can constantly know the truth of, but be unraveling the depth of. This God who just unconditionally loves me and then flips it on us to say, love one another the same way. Love one another the same way. God, I don't even know where to start with that. Which means the only thing I do know I can do is just abide in Him. Abide in that place. Because He promises if you can do this, fruit comes when fruit comes. But don't worry about the fruit. Worry about abiding. Right? I want to remind us of this one thing. And if you could leave here with one thought today, this would be it. When it comes to love, don't treat love as the reward. Treat it as the standard. Because if we're called to love the, the way that he loved, his love is not a reward. It's a standard. Right? My love for my wife is not a reward for her good behavior. Um, her love for me? No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, not, it's not a reward for performance. It's the standard of our relationship. My love for the drug addict on the corner or Robin or, or whoever, if it becomes the standard and not the reward, that's when people feel valued in a way that transcends agreement transcends performance and it doesn't matter who's sitting at the table everyone has a seat and everyone has the same canopy of God's value and unconditional love leading the conversation that's where the world changes right but love comes first and love is the standard let me pray for us father God I thank you that um, in the depth and the complexity of Just just some of these truths, God, they're so complex but so simple. God, that this interesting journey of getting you on the inside of me to become the outer layer, that the world could taste and see that the Father is good, that the world could find healing that the world would know you as creator, Father, sometimes it's so simple. And almost too simple, God, that if we just remain consciously present with who you are. God, that if we just remain in this place that as a son or a daughter, your love for us is unconditional, it's unshakable, it's not tired. God, that if that's our goal, it's hard sometimes to trust the process of abiding because it's almost too simple. But God, I pray 
over us this morning, God, whether it's people here or online, God, I pray that we would have the grace just to sit deep in the soil of who you are. And God, I pray for those, maybe they feel planted, but they don't really feel like you uh, like them or that your love has a duration or an end point. Father, I pray that their roots would latch on to what's around them, which is you. And God, maybe those this morning who have rooted but don't see what they would like to see yet and they're tempted to reroot or to uproot. Father, I pray that they would have the grace just to keep abiding. To not be tempted to perform for fruit, but to keep abiding. And God, I pray over this city, over this church, over this time and space that we live in, that the love of God would be known in a way that the world has never seen. God, that what the world saw through Jesus would rest with weight and would be multiplied in this generation, God. And last, Father, I pray that your church, whether it's this one or the one down the street or across the country, God, I pray that the church would start to look more and more like your table. God, churches that aren't built on agreement, but they're built on a love that's unconditional. Because you are the God, like the painting God, who take messes and make them masterpieces. You took guys who would have hated each other and used it to birth this thing called the church. And we sit here today because people who were in disagreement sat at your table. God, give us the grace to love one another the way that you loved us. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Robin. Well, thank you, Dan. It's great. As I've told you a little bit about Dan, he and I did meet about 10 years ago, and we've become friends over the years, and he also, and we mentioned this also, but everybody's not always here, he um, was the founder of Unified City Church up in North Wilkesboro from about 12 years ago. Well, he and Kara have felt a clear call to pioneer again, and they believe the Lord has called them here to Charlotte. We've mentioned that as well. Well, they moved here over the summer, and they had a ministry opportunity that didn't work out. And so they've been praying into what's next. Well, our staff and our team have been praying into that as well, and we have decided to ask Dan to join our team here at Queen City Church. So... Yeah. So next month, he's going to come on board to help us. He'll be part of our speaking team. He's going to help me in other areas as well. So I just want to encourage you to welcome Dan and Kara and his family and get to know them. They're really great people, and I know you're going to love them. So thank you. Let's welcome them again. (laughs) 
So good. So good. We also have ministry teams. Let me ask this, though. Let me do some other other ministry here. How many of you uh, want to respond to Dan's message by asking the Lord to be make himself more real to you this morning? How many of you feel that way? Well, let's, let's stand. Let's respond to what Dan shared with us if you want the Lord to do that. I was reading um, the Rooted and Grounded in Love passage in Ephesians. It actually says, knowing the love of God is the key to being filled. Say filled. Think about what filled means. There's no room left. To be filled with all the fullness of God. That doesn't even compute. But knowing the love of God is the key to that, according to the great revelator, um, the revelation of of, of the Apostle Paul. So, Father, here we stand. We know you. We want to know you more. And listen, if you've never known the Lord and you want to know him personally, you want to make a commitment to Jesus I'm going to be standing over here by my my chair. I'll be glad to pray with you. Um, But, Father, we do. We ask for that. We ask for the fullness of your love to flood us, body, soul, and spirit. And we thank you so much that it's your kind intention to reveal yourself to us. And we just bless you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We also have prayer teams. If anyone needs prayer of any way, shape, or form, if you would like for the Lord to speak to you somehow, that's also something that we can um, accomplish at times as we ask the Lord. So you could come over here on this side of the auditorium. And um, as for the rest of you folks, God bless you. Have a great week. And um, be really kind to somebody. You'd be amazed at what might happen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.